I think about Patch the Pirate and the thousands and thousands of lives that he touched. I, uh, growing up, we were in a children's choir. And my dad had pastored, and we sang his songs, and we sang uh, several songs that I still remember to this day. And what a legacy he had. And he used his talent, and he used his ability for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we praise the Lord for that. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to preach tonight and to speak. And I know it's an on, on unfortunate circumstance of the pastor being sick. And he texted me this, uh, this afternoon and said that he was praying for me. And I appreciate that. And I just want to say thank you publicly, Pastor, for allowing me to fill the pulpit tonight. And it's always an honor to preach the Word of God. If somebody asks me, what's your favorite thing to do without hesitation? I would tell them it's to preach the Bible. It's to preach God's Word. And... Um, Thank you again. You know, being the children's pastor, you, you obviously dealing with children. Children say some funny things, don't they? You guys probably have children and, and grandchildren. And here in the next several weeks, I'll have my own boy, and I'm excited for that. But kids say the funniest things. We were playing a game this morning in Kid City, and, and um, I, I, just some of the things they were saying had me laughing audibly. And uh, I was just thinking to myself, man, these kids are hilarious. I read the story one time of a little girl, and you might have heard this story before, but a little girl was sitting on her grandfather's lap as he read her a bedtime story. From time to time, she would take her eyes off the book and would reach up to touch his wrinkled cheek. She was alternately stroking her own cheek and then his again. Finally, she spoke up and she said, Grandpa, did God make you? Well, yes, sweetheart, he answered. God made me a long time ago. Oh, She paused. Grandpa, did God make me too? Yes, indeed, honey, he said. God made you just a little while ago. Feeling the respective faces again, the little girl girl observed, well, God's getting better at it, isn't he? And um, (laughs) when I read that, I thought that was pretty funny, man. Kids say some of the funniest things, don't they? That story had nothing to do with my message tonight, but I just wanted to share it. (laughs) And uh, that's good. If you would open your Bibles with me, please, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Acts chapter 28, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And when they were escaped, that they knew that the island was called Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us everyone because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Look at verse number 5. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. And the same quarters were possessions of the chief's man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us there three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. 
So when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. If you would notice that phrase again in verse number three, where Paul, he had, the Bible says in Paul, uh, had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, and there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And then verse number five, the Bible says, and he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Tonight, I want to preach to you on this thought, on this subject out of this passage of Scripture, Acts chapter 28. I want to preach to you on this thought, shake off the snake. Shake off the snake. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would help me tonight. Lord, I need you. I cannot do this alone. Father, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you fill me with your power? Lord, would you hide me behind the cross? Lord, would you speak to me, through me, and for me? Lord, would you help us? Would you speak to hearts? And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Here in this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is on his way to be beheaded. He is getting to stand, uh, getting ready to stand trial before Caesar. He has been a faithful missionary, a faithful pastor, a preacher, and a church planner for the Lord Jesus Christ. After his life, of course, was changed forever in Acts chapter 9, when he met the Lord on the road to Damascus. We know that in the scriptures and according to the scripture that Paul would spend years in prison in Rome writing many wonderful epistles from prison. But his time here on earth was coming to an end. In Acts chapter 27, of course, the chapter before Paul and his companions are caught in a horrible, terrible storm. Everyone on the ship thought they were going to die except Paul. The Lord, of course, had sent an angel to comfort Paul and to tell him that this ship would be lost, but that their lives would not be lost and everyone on the ship would be spared. The ship was lost in the storm, but all of those on board made it safely to shore. Paul and his shipmates now are stranded on an island called Melita. This little island is located in the Mediterranean Sea between Sicily and Africa. The island now today is called Malta, M-A-T-L-A, Malta. When the survivors had landed on the island, they are met by some very friendly natives, according to the passage that we just read. Verse number two tells us that the inhabitants of Melita were quick to offer aid and comfort to Paul and to the others. In verse number three, though, Paul is helping gather firewood. We read that it was cold, it was raining, and they needed some heat. So Paul now is gathering some firewood. And the Bible says that as he lays his hand on the bundle of sticks, out of the fire comes a viper and bites his hand. Imagine now this, this viper, this snake, is, it, it comes out of nowhere, it bites Paul. Now this, this snake is just hanging off Paul's hand. But what does the Bible says Paul, do, Paul does? He shakes it off, and he keeps on moving forward. Paul shook off the stake. What's amazing to me is that in this, in this, in this, in this island here, the island Malta, Melita, I was kind of doing some research on where it was located. It's an extremely small island, but what's fascinating is that this island is not known to have any snakes. Yet that night, Paul was bit 
by a snake. You know, Paul faced a real trial when he was bitten by this viper. Paul was faced with a real trial when he was bitten by this venomous snake. But God, in his mercy and his grace, fulfilled the promise to spare Paul's life. And while that viper was a problem, because let me tell you, getting bit by a venomous snake is an issue. It was a problem. But Paul faced some more deadly snakes that night. Snakes that had the power to ruin his life and end his ministry. But he shook off every single snake that bit him that night. And I want to point out some snakes that Paul had faced in this passage of scripture, some things that Paul dealt with. And I want to encourage you to recognize that the snakes that Paul faced were the same snakes in 2023 that will latch on into your life today. Can I tell you in life, we are going to deal with snakes. And I'm not talking about real physical snakes, okay? Even though you might deal with some of those. But I'm talking about spiritual snakes. I'm talking about snakes that if they latch onto your life, and if you're not like Paul, you don't shake it off. These snakes are going to control you. These snakes are going to dictate how you live your life. These these snakes are going to determine what you do or don't do for the Lord. I remember when I was a little boy, I was in Kentucky. I had grown up in Kentucky. I was born in Tennessee, but I had grown up in Kentucky I grew up under a pastor's home, and I remember we were, I believe it was the Corbin area, because they have a railroad museum. And I enjoyed, I loved trains growing up. I loved going on trains. In fact, some of you may or may not remember Thomas the Tank Engine. And I had all of his, uh, all the decorations. My bedding was filled uh, with Thomas the Tank. I love Thomas the Tank Engine. I love trains. Well, we were sitting there in the train museum, and I, re- I had remembered we had actually uh, ridden on a locomotive. I had remembered that we had gone through, and we saw how trains were made, and we saw all the different kinds of trains from when they were first made to all the way up into present time. But I remember that we were done, and I had remembered that as we were walking, there was a bench in the, in the distance. And from a distance, I saw a copperhead go underneath that bench. Now, if you don't know what a copperhead looks like, on the screen is what a copperhead looks like, all right? If you don't like snakes, I'm sorry, I apologize, I'll change it real quick, all right? And I remember seeing this copperhead go underneath this bench and had curled up. And from a distance, I remember seeing an older lady, because she she had a cane, and and, uh, she was going to go sit down on that bench, and I remember yelling from a distance, hey, don't sit there, there's a snake underneath that bench. I think she had heard me because she didn't sit underneath the bench, and so to myself, I'm like, yes, I'm a hero, I saved somebody's life. Because here is the problem that would have happened if she had gotten bit by that snake. Copperheads are poisonous. They're venomous. If she would have gotten bit by that snake, she would have been in some big trouble. Especially being at that museum. I don't know how long the venom would have taken to get to her. She was an older lady. I don't know what would have happened. But if she would have been bit by that snake, she would have been in deep, deep trouble. Can I tell you in life, listen, we're going to get bit by snakes and there are things that are going to happen. There are things that are, going, that are going to occur in our life. And the question is, is how are you going to handle that? What are you going to do when you're bit by a snake? Several thoughts I see here out of this passage of Scripture. Some snakes that, were, that bit Paul that night, 
and some snakes that we need to shake off. Number one, we must shake off the snake of crisis. We must shake off the snake of Christ. Let's look at verse number three. The Bible says, And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. When Paul was bitten, it was a real moment of crisis. The snake was a venomous snake. It was a viper, and it could have claimed his life. They didn't have hospitals like they did back then. They didn't have, I don't believe they had anti-venom and anti-poison like they do now. So this, this snake, this venomous serpent, could have claimed his life. But of course, we know that God in his grace, he took care of the poison. But here's the problem was that the crisis came when Paul was engaged in doing good. After the episode on the ship where he saved everyone's life, Paul could have demanded special treatment. But here he is working and serving and it's still a time of crisis came in your life, came in his life. Can I tell you tonight that crisis in life is inevitable? It happens. Some of you tonight, I'm sure, have dealt with a crisis. Some of you right now might be dealing with a crisis. And can I tell you, I don't know what you've been through, and I don't know what you're going through. And I don't know, I don't know how you feel, and I don't know, how, I don't understand how it hurts, but can I tell you, there's a God in heaven who knows. There's a God in heaven who understands, and He feels your pain, and He knows what you're going through, or what you have gone through. And can I tell you, by His grace, and by His mercy, you can take off, and you can shake off that snake of crisis, and move on for the Lord Jesus Christ. I might be saying, Pastor Ethan, are you telling me that I can't, if something bad happens in my life, I can't be sad? No, that's not what I'm telling you at all. Can I fill you in on a secret? I'm an emotional person, all right? As you probably, I don't know if you can tell or not, I'm an emotional person. When things happen in life, I try to not express them with my body language and my face, but it's really hard not to do. And can I tell you that when crisis comes, it's okay to cry. It's okay, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to, to, to be upset. It's okay to maybe even be angry at times. And listen, if you want to cry, I'll cry with you. If you want to hug, I'll hug you. If you want somebody to talk to, I'll listen. But we can't allow that crisis to dictate what we do in our life and with our life. Because here's the problem. If we allow crisis in life to dictate what we do, we're going to quit on God and we're probably going to quit serving the Lord. Crisis is inevitable, isn't it? If I came to you and I said, have you had a crisis in life? You'd probably say, yes, I've dealt with something. You might be even sitting here tonight and say, I'm going through something. This last summer... I wasn't going to mention this, but this last summer I had dealt with something that I've never dealt with before. I dealt with death. I had lost one of my best friends to cancer. And can I tell you, it hurt. It didn't feel good. It stung. And I got bit by that snake. But I knew that if I let that snake hang on, I'm going to hurt myself, and I'm going to hurt the others around me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I let that snake hang on for a little bit. I did. But eventually, I had to shake it off. 
and I had to keep on moving forward. Day after day, people deal with crisis, don't they? A loved one passes away, a family member strays away from the things of God, financial instability hits, and you're not sure what's going to happen next. And we seem to believe that our faithful service to the Lord is a shield against trouble in our life. But can I tell you, that's just not so. You can ask Job, you can ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can ask Daniel, you can ask Elijah, you can even ask the disciples, you can even ask Jesus Christ himself. Troubles are part of everybody life when troubles come they can derail our faith we often feel as though god is holding out on us we feel that we deserve better treatment than we are than what we are receiving so how will you react to crisis will you allow the snake to attach itself and stay there or will you be like paul and will you shake it off may i challenge you to do like paul did to put your faith and promises in the Lord and believe Him for the help you need. In our times of trouble, we have some very precious promises from God. We have His presence. We have His victory. We have His purposes and plans. We have His power. Paul could have allowed this crisis to dictate what he did from here on out. But what did he do? He shook it off. Now, shaking off a crisis is a lot easier said than done, isn't it? It is. But we can't allow crisis to determine our outcome in life. Shake off the snake of crisis. Number two, I see in this passage of Scripture, we must shake off the snake of criticism. Shake off the snake of criticism. Look at verse number four. The Bible says, And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. As soon as Paul is bitten by the snake, the people on the island began to criticize him. They were a very suspicious people, and they assumed the viper bit Paul because of some evil in his life. In their view, he was being punished because he was a wicked man. You know, people are often, are, are often quick to criticize when they do not understand or what they see and hear. Some of you tonight have been the object of criticism of others. And can I tell you, you're not alone. Some of the greatest people who ever lived have been criticized. I think of Moses as he was leading the children of Israel across the Red Sea and, and into that promised land. Moses was criticized. I think about Jesus who faced criticism with his enemies when they called Jesus a blasphemer in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 3. In fact, they even accused him of being in a league with Satan in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 34. Can I tell you, these people here on the island were critical of Paul when they didn't even know who he was. You might be sitting here tonight and you might say, Pastor Ethan, I've dealt with criticism. I've dealt with people criticizing what I do, what I say, where I go, what I, what I wear, how I act. I've dealt with criticism in life. So my question is for you, what are you going to do when the snake of criticism bites you in the hand? We're all going to be criticized. People are going to say things they shouldn't say. People are going to uh, treat us in a certain way that really we probably don't deserve to be treated. You will be criticized in this life. And you might be sitting here, you might say, yep, you're exactly right. You will be criticized. Why do you do the things that you do? 
Your family will be criticized. Your work for the Lord will be criticized. You're going to take criticism in life. And that snake's going to bite you. And let me tell you, if you let that snake of criticism hold on, you'll become bitter. And your heart will become hard. You must shake off the snake of criticism. Being in ministry, you deal with criticism. I'm sure if we sat pastor down tonight, we could say, Pastor, have you ever been, have you ever been criticized? Oh, I'm sure he has. Someone said this, if you are a Christian, you can, you can expect folks to criticize, but you ought to live so nobody will believe them. Evangelist George Whitfield learned that it was more important to please God than to please men, knowing that he was doing what was honoring to the Lord, kept him from discouragement when he was falsely accused by his enemies. At one point in his ministry, Whitfield received a vicious letter accusing him of wrongdoing. His reply was brief and courteous. I thank you heartily for your letter. As for what you and my other enemies are saying against me, I know worse things about myself than you will ever say about me. With love in Christ, George Whitfield. He didn't try to defend himself. He was much more concerned about pleasing the Lord. I heard this story one time, and somebody said, don't write or say anything that you will not sign your name to. If you, receive a ne- if you receive a negative, anonymous note, ignore it. If they're not willing to sign their name, it's not worth reading. Don't take heed to it. Like the pastor who received an anonymous note with nothing but the word fool written on it. The next morning, he got in church and said, I've gotten many notes without signatures, but before, this is the first time I got one where someone forgot to write the note and just signed his name. If you're not careful, the criticism from others will cause you to become defeated. Now, there are times when we deserve to be criticized, and may I say constructive criticism. And I get that, and I understand that. But if you're not careful, criticism will make you want to give up and quit. And make you want to say, I'm done, it's over. You know what Paul could have easily have done that night when those people were criticizing him? He could have easily gotten up, left the campfire, and had gone and did his own thing. But what did he do? He shook off the snake of criticism and kept on serving the Lord. And on top of that, may I say, you will be criticized, but can I say this? Don't be a critical person. Don't be somebody who critics people. You know, we all have, have a critical spirit in some way, shape, or form. We do. We can be critical at times. But can I say, don't be critical. You know, I sometimes think that Christians can be some of the most critical people you ever meet. Don't be a critical person. And when somebody does criticize you, may we, by God's grace, shake off that snake. Can I say, look, keep your eyes upon Jesus? What does the Bible say? Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Where are your eyes tonight? Are they on people or are they on the Lord? Because if they're on the Lord, you're not going to worry about what the critics say. If you're looking unto Jesus, you're not going to worry about what people are saying about you because your eyes are focused on Him and not others. Shake off the snake of 
crisis, shake off the snake of criticism. Number three, shake off the snake of cynicism. Verse number six, the Bible says, Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, but after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, watch this, they changed their minds. Instead, he was a God. Can I tell you an example of cynicism is when people always think the worst and have a hard time seeing the good in anyone. These people here were sitting and they were watching Paul waiting for him to swell up, to fall down and die. They expected a great fall from the apostle and they were a cynical crowd that looked for nothing good to come of this situation. How many of you in this room tonight would say, I've been an object of cynics' words. I've been someone who has been cynical. Uh, You will never make it. The church thing won't last. You will fall. You will fail. This isn't real. You can't make money in the ministry. You can't keep your relationship with Jesus Christ. And listen, some people are just waiting for you to fall. They are waiting for you to fail. And if you're not careful... The prophecy of the cynic can become self-fulfilling and you may make a mistake and you may say, what's the use? I might as well quit. But can I tell you tonight, by the grace of God, you can shake off the snake of the cynics and you can keep on moving forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. My dad tells a story and he tells his testimony about his life and my dad was saved at a young age when he was seven years old. He accepted Christ as his Savior. When my dad was ten years old, his father had passed away of a brain tumor. My dad grew up without a father. My, my grandmother, his mom, did the best that she could to raise the five kids that she had. My dad, when he was in junior high and high school, strayed away from the Lord. And he'd tell you this. Grew out his hair. Wanted to be in a rock band. Wanted to, he wanted to be wild. Wanted to do what he wanted to do. God finally got a hold of his heart when he was a junior in high school. And he went back to church. And he could say he resurrendered his life to the Lord. And God called him to preach. God called him to pastor. When his senior year of high school came, he was about to head out to Bible College. Crown College there in Powell, Tennessee, where I went to school. And his older brother, who was about, I believe, about six years older than him, had a conversation with him. He said, Tom, what are you doing? My dad said, well, I'm going to Bible college. I'm going to go serve the Lord. I've been called into ministry. God's called me to preach. And my uncle, my uncle looked him straight in the eyes and said this, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. Well, Thirty years later, here I am, because I think that my dad shook off that snake that bit him that day of a cynical brother. I sometimes think to myself, what if my dad would have said, you know what, he's right. The ministry's tough, it's difficult, you really don't get a lot of money, it's hard. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. I can probably tell you this, I wouldn't be standing here tonight. I can probably tell you this, my brothers and sisters wouldn't be serving the Lord around the country. I can probably tell you this, my dad wouldn't be pastoring right now in Statesboro, Georgia, and he wouldn't be working with a missions company that ships out millions of Bibles a year. 
And can I say that my dad that day shook off the snake of a cynical person and he kept on moving forward for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that when things happen in your life, the choices and decisions that you make will affect others as well. The choice and decision my dad made that day to continue to move on forward affected his sons and daughters as well. And I can say here that by God's grace and mercy, I am here because he did shake off that snake of a cynical person that day. Can I tell you tonight, the cynics don't have the last word you do. Shake off the snake, uh, shake off the viper of cynicism and prove the doubters wrong by your faithful obedience to the Lord. That's the same attitude that David had in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Look, David did not let the cynics stop him from going out and killing the giant Goliath. He went out there with confidence in the Lord and beat the giant that day. Look, nobody but you determines the quality and length of your service to the Lord. There is no critic, there is no cynic, there is no crisis that can drive you from him unless you allow it to. May I say tonight, may we be like Paul and that when the snake of crisis comes, when the snake of criticism comes, when the snake of cynicism comes, I'm going to shake it off and I'm going to move on for the Lord Jesus Christ and do what he wants me to do. Some of you have probably heard this story. You probably knew this man, John Stephen Aukwari. Does that sound right? He was a marathon runner who represented Tanzania in the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. He didn't win a medal. In fact, he came nowhere near. But in defeat and in pain, he came to represent something much more profound and enduring than any sportsman achieve in illustrious careers. Aquarie was never likely to win the marathon, but his chances were wrecked when perhaps because of the effects of the high altitude, he succumbed to cramps and it slowed his progress. If that was painful, then worse was to come after he was involved in a melee of athletes jockeying for position. Aquari fell to the ground, gashing his knee and causing a dislocation. He also smashed his shoulder against the pavement. Most observers, seeing his injuries, assumed he would pull, pull out and go to the hospital. But instead, he received a medical attention and returned to the track to continue his race. His pace, of course, was now much lower, but his resolve to complete the event remained intact. 18 of the 75 starters had pulled out. And he did not wish to add to that number. And so, more than an hour after the winner, he crossed the line in last place, cheered home by a few thousand spectators who had remained in the stadium after the sun went down. By the time he reached the stadium, he was limping and the bandage around his leg was flapping in the breeze. He was asked why he had carried on and his response has gone down. Sporting history. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Are there some vipers in your life attaching themselves to you? If not, they will. I'm sure you could say, oh, Pastor Ethan, I've been bit. I think we've all been bit tonight in some way, shape, or form. 
So may we be like the Apostle Paul. May we shake off the snake and continue to move on forward for the Lord Jesus Christ.